Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church Podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. It's great to see you today. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Hill. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. So this is uh, our last week, our last Sunday in the book of Galatians. And I know most of you probably are like, thank goodness, right? It's been three months in Galatians, but we're wrapping it up today in Galatians chapter 6. So right before Christmas, December uh, 22nd, 1997, I experienced one of the greatest moments of my entire life. Some of you may not understand this. Uh, But I went to the Centriplex in Macon, Georgia, to watch some professional wrestling. WWE, there was rumors that the next week, Sting was going to finally return from his long absence in professional wrestling, and he was going to show down with Hulk Hogan. And so we went, me and two buddies, we were much too old to be as excited for this event as we were. We did not need parents or a chaperone, if that gives you an idea of how old I was. So we went, great anticipation, the night is closing, Hulk Hogan is in the middle of the ring, nobody's seen Sting yet, and Hulk Hogan is just talking trash about Sting. And then all of a sudden, we look up into the rafters of the Macon Centriplex, and who's up there? It's Sting. And he comes into the ring on a zip line, face to face with Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan starts talking trash. Sting doesn't say a word. And I and my two buddies were going insane, like, this is amazing. Some of you are like, wow, I used to thought you were sophisticated and brilliant. So you just confessed your love for professional wrestling. I haven't actually watched professional wrestling in a very, very long time, but I do cherish that moment. Professional wrestling is built on boasting and bragging. Really, at the end of the day, that's what it is, right? The reason people watch it is for the drama of it. To hear Hulk Hogan say, what you gonna do when Hulkamania runs wild on you, right? Everybody goes nuts. To hear Ric Flair boast, to be the man, you gotta beat the man. And at that particular time, he was the man. To hear The Rock with his many quips, right, including know your role and shut your mouth. It's an entire genre built on boasting and bragging. Boasting and bragging is not foreign to us, right? This is just the extreme example of it. But you walk into any middle school and hang out with some middle school boys for a while, and what do you hear? All sorts of baseless Boasting and bragging, right? It's part of being a human. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul's going to explain to us what his boast is, what his brag is. And it's definitely not his performance in the ring. Pick up in verse 11. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So up until this point of the letter, more than likely, Paul's been dictating Uh, to an assistant who's been copying down the letter. And now at the very close of Galatians, he picks up the pen himself 
He wants to say to the churches in Galatia whom he founded, I want you to know this is from me, my very heart. Verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God, the people of God. Verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. She said, I've suffered for the sake of Christ. Leave me alone. Then he concludes the letter. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. As Paul closes his letter, he wants to remind the churches of Galatia, this network of churches, about the very center point of their faith, the cross. He's outlined them the importance of getting the gospel right. He's talked about our right relationship with God being based on faith, not in obedience to the law. He's talked about the right relationship, how we properly understand the good news, the gospel, the truth of Jesus, and what God requires in the law. He's told us this unbelievable truth that we've been adopted into God's very family. And perhaps even more unbelievable that God, the very spirit of God, dwells inside of those who have trusted in Christ and that the Spirit does this amazing transformational work in our hearts and produces fruit. He's told us about the joy of belonging to a communi community of faith. And now he wants the Galatians, and I think us, to know that none of what is talked about in this letter is possible without the cross of Jesus. That it all hinges on the cross. That Christianity is not just about who Jesus is and not just about what he taught, but it rises and falls on what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That the good news needs the cross. That we need the cross to be truly free from sin. That we need it to be justified by faith. That it's the cross that purchased us from sin and death. It's the cross that provided a way for us into the family of God as sons and daughters. It's the cross that's central to us living in community with each other. It's the cross that provided the way for the Spirit of God to dwell with us into eternity instead of just being near us at particular times. And so Paul says that I'm not going to boast in anything. No ritual, not a college degree, not my position, not my, even my own apostleship. What I'm going to boast in is just the cross. When we use this word boasting, what are we talking about? To boast is to talk about something with pride, to exalt in something, to have a high level of confidence in something. Typically, when we think about boasting, we think about boasting in ourselves, 
I'm not sure uh, what women boast in, but I do know the progression of the boast of guys. In elementary school, we boast about how strong our dads are and how our dad could beat up everybody else's dad. Then in middle school, we no longer boast about dads. Instead, we boast about our own strength, usually with some sort of made-up accomplishment. Middle school boys rarely know what they're talking about, but they're going to talk about it. In high school, the boasting changes to what girls give you any sort of attention. In college, you start to boast about some actual accomplishments in your life. And then pretty much after that, you spend the rest of your life boasting about how good you used to be. Todd Wilson says, but we need to remember that boasting is how we verbalize our confidence. It's how we make hope audible. Boasting is hope you can hear. No one can peer into your soul to see the source of your confidence or the object of your hope. But they can hear what you talk about, the things that get you excited, what, is, what it is you commend or celebrate. And so Paul says, the only thing I got to boast about, my ultimate confidence, the foundation of my hope, the thing that excites Paul the most, what he wants to talk about, what he celebrates is the cross. Jesus' is cross. He's not gonna boast in his own good works, not his credentials, not his position, not the number of churches that he's planted, not the number of converts that have come from those churches, not his strict adherence to the law, not his strict adherence to rituals. His, His boasting is not in something he even did, not in something he accomplished, not in something he created, not in something he fought for, but completely in what Jesus did for him in his place. This actually is kind of strange, right? It's a strange thing to say, to boast in something you didn't even do. It's strange to even think about boasting in the cross because in some ways, the cross is something that happened to Jesus. People don't condemn themselves to die and people don't typically brag about their own execution or the execution of a friend. I think there's two reasons why this is strange. The first one is this. It's strange to boast in the cross because the cross is shocking. I am definitely not the first one to point this out. Famously, John Piper has pointed this out. Todd Wilson points this out. But it's easy for us to forget what the cross actually was in the first century. A gruesome method of execution invented by wicked men to punish wicked men in the worst possible way. The cross was a tool used by the Roman Empire to assert their dominance over a defeated region. Some historical accounts describe crosses for miles into a city where the now occupied country's leaders would be strung up, a statement, a show of force. We're in charge now. 
The cross was the symbol of the very worst humanity has to offer. One of the worst ways to die, reserved for the very worst criminals, and used in the very worst ways so that the machine of the Roman Empire could maintain power and control. But we wear it like jewelry. And we get it tattooed on our bodies. We put it up in our churches. We sing about the cross with reverence and awe. We talk about the cross as a demonstration of God's love. It's easy to forget how shocking of a statement this is. Perhaps it's easy to forget how shocking the cross is. So then we're confronted with a question. Why would we boast or commend or celebrate an execution method? Why instead would this not result in us turning away in shame or wincing? Why don't we respond and say, this is terrible? Because the meaning has been changed by a radical event. More on that in a second. Number two. Boasting in the cross is shocking, surprising, or strange because the cross is offensive. The offense of the cross that the Bible talks about is that we need it, that you need it and that I need it that we are hopeless without Jesus' death on the cross, that we can't save ourselves. John Stott says, nothing reveals the gravity of sin like the cross. What he means is that the cross confronts us with our very own sinfulness, that you and I are so deeply mired in rebellion, pride, lust, self-centeredness, jealousy, and greed that the only option or the only hope for us was for God to come in person, live a perfect life, and lay down his life for us in our place by the hands of wicked men through the most gruesome execution method ever known to man. That's offensive that our condition was so bad that self-help was, self, was helpless to do anything about it. That strict obedience to a religion couldn't reverse our course. That a renewed sense of morality and goodness would not be enough for us. That our only possible hope was Jesus, the Son of God, dying for us in our place on the cross. The cross isn't offensive because it's a statement of God's love. The cross is offensive because of what it says about you and me. That we needed it. That it was the only possible way for us to be saved. And this very hard truth is often why people walk away from the Christian faith. Because who wants to hear about your own incapability or the depths of your own sinful heart? This is what Paul is referring to with these false teachers, again, all the way throughout the book in verse 12. 
It says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. He's saying, these false teachers who want you to obey the rituals of the Jewish faith in order to belong to the people of God, here's what they're concerned with. They're concerned with looking good for everyone else. Only, he says, in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. That they want to minimize the place of the cross, the role of the cross, so that it doesn't reflect poorly on them. So that they don't get kicked out of the synagogue, so the chief priest doesn't say something mean about them, so they're not rejected by their other Jewish brothers and sisters. They need to maintain the ritual of circumcision so they can continue to look good to their religious establishment. And then he says they want to boast in themselves. They want to say, I can keep the law. They want to say, I did something to contribute to my own salvation. And they want to boast in the fact that they have all of these Galatian churches now that want to follow them instead of the way of the cross. And then Paul just puts a very simple but firm last nail in the coffin of religion, finishing off what he has said throughout the entire book of Galatians. And he just says this, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. Those who boast, he says, in their religiosity ultimately prove they can't obey their own law. That pride creeps into the heart of even the most religious. That the moment you start to boast in your own morality or goodness or obedience or group or rituals, you break the law you've been trying so hard to uphold. Saying that's the problem when you don't see the offense of the cross as being true. When you try to protect yourself from it, what you end up doing is undoing the very thing that your hope is in. You go, oh, look at me. As false teachers would say, I've been circumcised. I've followed the rituals. I've done exactly what God requires of me. And in that pride and self-exaltation, they have violated God's law. It's incapable for them to save themselves in that way. Tim Keller says it this way. Ultimately, the gospel is offensive because the cross stands against all schemes of self-salvation. The world appreciates religion and morality in general. The world thinks that moral religion is a good thing for society, but the world is offended by the cross. So people who love the cross are, he says, persecuted. So here's then what Paul is saying, that his boast in the cross is actually boasting in the very thing that shows him that he has no reason to boast at all. He's bragging about his own inability, boasting in his own lack, and confidently proclaiming what he can't do, which causes us to ask the same question that we asked earlier. Why? Why would anyone boast in the cross? Why would anybody celebrate it? Why would anybody joyfully exalt in it? Why would anybody sing about an execution method? Why would anybody verbalize their confidence in an event that is utterly shocking and deeply offensive? 
The only possible way would be this, is if the event with which it was associated was incredibly powerful, overwhelmingly compelling, and so life-altering that would it change the entire definition or meaning or what people understood the cross to be. It would have to be something so significant that it would call for a redefinition of epic proportions. And that's precisely what Jesus did on the cross. Same cross, same Romans, same intent, but Jesus accomplished something completely different than what was intended by those who executed. Jesus turned the cross from a symbol of death and cruelty to a symbol of love and grace. From a tool used to force people into submission to a tool used to set people free. From a place reserved for those who were condemned to a place to set people free from condemnation. The cross now for us because of what Jesus did, doesn't represent the gruesome end of a life, but the new beginning of a new life. The cross is life-changing. Paul says, that's what I boast in. That's what I'm boasting in, not an execution method or the offense of the cross. What I'm boasting in is what Jesus did. That the cross is the means by which Jesus saved every single person who would place their faith in him. That Jesus turned something that was so terrible, wretched, and wicked into the most glorious thing on the face of the planet. That's what I'm boasting in. That's what I have confidence in. That's what my hope is in. Jesus, what he accomplished on the cross. And he says in verse 14, through which the cross, through which the world has been crucified to me. He says the cross is so life-altering, so life-changing that it changed something inside of me. That I no longer need the power or the fame that the world has to offer. I'm dead to it. Because I've found Jesus. I've found a more compelling love. He's saying, I've lost my appetite for the empty promises that the world has to offer me. I no longer believe that money will buy me happiness or love. I no longer, he's saying, feel compelled to boast in my dad's strength on the playground, my own strength, my own accomplishments, or even how good I used to be. I'm dead to all of that. The cross has Killed my pride, he's saying, and it is the most freeing thing that's ever happened to me. I've been crucified to the world. And then he adds this phrase. He says, the world's been crucified to me and I to the world. It's a little tougher pill to swallow. He's saying, nobody in this world's enthralled with me anymore. Now, you might remember Paul's story. When we first meet him in the book of Acts, he is a rising superstar in the religious world. Highly educated, incredibly intelligent, highly motivated, going out of his way to make sure that this new bursting movement of Christianity would be squashed forever. 
So here's what he says. When I came to know Jesus, when I'm boasting in the cross, you know who doesn't have me on speed dial anymore? The chief priests. You know who doesn't invite me out after work anymore? My Pharisee buddies. I'm dead to them now. I'm no longer trying to please the crowd. And if I was, the crowd's not pleased with me anymore. We see this later in the book of Acts. Acts 24. Felix, ruler for the Roman Empire, just leaves Paul in jail for two years for no reason. Finally, he meets another guy, Festus, who just says, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning, he says, is driving you mad. Another guy in that chapter, Agrippa, laughs at Paul, makes fun of him, saying, you're trying to persuade me to become a Christian. This is what he's talking about. These events. And he's like, I'm good with it. I don't get those calls anymore to go preach at the synagogue. Don't need them. The cross changes our view of the world and it changes the world's view of us. And so sometimes that looks like for us dismissiveness or lack of appreciation or at times rejection. And Paul just says, even in the face of that, my only boast is the cross. My ultimate confidence wasn't in the chief priest knowing my name anyway. My greatest hope wasn't in my boss being enthralled and happy with my work. The thing that I celebrated wasn't my purchase of a new truck that I always wanted. The thing I'm commending to people isn't my rise up the corporate ladder. What I have to offer is just Jesus. And then verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Here's what he says. Pretty simple. The cross accomplishes what all the rituals never could. The cross is, means to change us, to make us into a new creation. And that when we get tired of religion, when we get tired of trying to prove ourselves, when we're ready to lay aside our pursuits for significance, when we get tired of chasing what the world boasts in, when we trust Jesus, trust his cross, trust that Jesus died for us in our place, that Jesus paid for every single one of our sins ever committed when he died on the cross, then this beautiful thing happens. God makes us into someone new. New creation, it's a work of the spirit we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's applied through the cross of Jesus. It is summed up in this. It's not what I do for God, but what God has done for me. It's also, friends, if I could just say it this way, not about what you haven't done for God, but what Jesus has done for you. That's what the boast is is about the good unbelievable news that everything i could have ever needed or wanted in this life is found in christ the cross changes our entire basis for our identities 
sets us free from trying to justify ourselves, gives us confidence while keeping us humble. So we should join Paul. We boast in the cross because it is everything to us. Everything. We verbalize our confidence in the cross, in faith. Confidence that Jesus' death was for us in our place, and that's how God saved us. We celebrate the cross not because we love execution and not because we love our own sinfulness, but it's because of the cross and by the cross that we've been rescued We've been justified. We've been put in a right relationship with God. We've been set free from having to obey every single law. We've been, the burden of proving ourselves has been removed to us. We're excited about the cross because it is a symbol of proof showing us of God unconditionally loves us, that he demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we make the cross our audible hope That our hope isn't in our own morality or religious observance, but in Jesus and Jesus alone. Which is why some of us grew up singing every third Sunday. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's our boast. That's what we have confidence in. That's what our hope is in. So just one question today then. In what do I boast in? Or another way to ask it, where does my confidence lie? What do I talk about the most? What do I celebrate the most? What do I commend to others the most? What gets me excited? What gets me out of bed in the morning? Where do I joyfully exalt? For some of us, if we don't know Jesus, the answer may be, I got a good performance review at work. Or things are going well with my family. Or I believe I'm a good person. And the question for you today would be, are you confident in the object of your boasting? Or perhaps is today the day where you lay those things aside and trust Christ and Christ alone? Where you see your great need to be saved 
in your inability to save yourself and trust that Jesus died for you in your place, paying for all of your sins, past, present, and future, and only asking of you faith. No ritual, no obedience, just trust in his sacrifice for you. Then for those of us who are believers, this question maybe looks like this. Does our daily life reflect that the cross is everything to us? When we are gathered together as a church, are we boasting, celebrating the cross? Is that what's center here? And when we scatter to our own neighborhoods and workplaces and communities, are we boasting in the cross? carrying that confidence with us in Christ wherever we go. So we end Galatians with just one question. What place does the cross hold in your heart? Or maybe we could ask the question this way. What enables you to daily walk in confidence? Or we could ask it this way. What is my ultimate hope? Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.